Oh, Lord, our great God, we, we come to you worshiping and seeking to be, to be fed by your word. Lord, we ask that you would, would guard the, the words of your servant, that he would lessen, that Christ would be magnified, that we would hear, hear your word read and, and preached, that the Spirit would be working amongst us, there would be great unction, that we would, would enjoy and benefit from the Spirit's work, that we might be called, redeemed, sanctified, built up in Christ, that all these things would happen through your means of grace as we trust in you. So, Lord, may you be glorified and may your people benefit from the reading and preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you turn your Bibles to Acts 25, Acts 25, we're continuing our sermon series through Acts. We're getting close to coming towards uh, the end, and as you're turning in, in your Bibles Tapping on your devices, getting to Acts 25, uh, as we get ready to look at the chapter together. I remind you that uh, Acts is written to, to confirm the certainty that Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. I feel confident the Lord has shown us that as we've worked through Acts, even as we see it around us every day and in church history, uh, the blessing that it is. Uh, we're coming to chapter 25, even as we're moving through this section where there's, there's several defenses that Paul is giving now that he's in custody. Uh, sections, uh, these few chapters can potentially almost seem repetitive, the same thing happening over and over again, but we don't want to, to get lost in that, for it's not. The Lord has uh, particular uh, themes and purposes for each of these defenses that we see, and particularly this morning. We're going to see how, how God is the one who is sovereign over all things. That Even though you have all of these powerful people trying and thinking they're influencing and doing all of this, it is God himself who is actually in control. So we get ready to read in chapter 25. Just a note to, to keep in mind here. We're, we're literally going from one verse to the next, but yet we have a two-year jump. So it's been two years since the last recording of what was happening in Paul's life here in custody. This is, this is God's word, Acts 25. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking us, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem. Because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, 
Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion. And about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserts to be alive. Being at a a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. We will... Lord willing, next time we gather for worship uh, on the following Lord's Day, hear Paul's defense and his response before King Agrippa. We live in a culture that's full of uh, influencers, so much so that it's even become a title. I mean, it it used to be something we we just knew. We knew there were people who who were able to influence the zeitgeist, the, the, the moment of the culture. We, we knew, looking at, even looking at history, we know that there are those who, who, have, who have power and are able to influence the movement of nations and cultures, this, that, and the other. But, but today we even 
having seen this so much, we've, we've given a title to it. And maybe it's a little bit of a self-serving title because most of the folks who consider themselves influencers, most of the folks who have been uh, dubbed such a phrase by our culture, you know, these are folks on uh, social media, uh, as it were. They're the ones who are, who are pushing and, and, and driving trends, uh, perhaps maybe as, as those who are walking and, and playing a little bit of a pipe and others are following them, uh, kind of like the Pied Piper. Regardless of what it is, they are uh, pushing an influence in our culture. Uh, they are the ones who are, who are bringing about changes that many are following in regards to uh, you know, fashion, morality, even, even the way that, that religion is done in our nation, nation the religions that are pursued and those uh, that are practiced. You know, and influencers push cultural trends. Many people, some knowingly, they, they, they're happy. They want to get on board. They want to follow these influencers. There are others who unknowingly are just kind of caught up in everything following along what it is that uh, they, they see among, around them and these folks who are influencing them uh, are causing them to, to, to seek to do. And these influencers we see today, and it's different, but they, they do seem to wield a, a similar power. And when we were uh, together in, in our previous passage and we saw the, uh, the power that was brought together in the trial, the first uh, trial sit down that Rome had there against Paul. We saw powerful people brought together, much influence. It's a little different now. We have folks that are on social media and they're they're spouting ideas and putting things together. But yet there is a similar power being seen in the impact of what they're doing, what they're promoting. And we, we see somewhat of a similarity. And even though there's a difference between these Jewish religious leaders, these Roman civil leaders, and the influencers that we see around us uh, today, these influencers that, you know, lest you doubt and say, oh, that's silly. Social media doesn't make that big an impact. Oh, that's, that's silly. Some people making some videos and posting something. They're not that impactful. And yet, and yet this is the... Kind of the infantry, as it were, the, these are some of the, the mighty forces that have literally uh, turned our, our culture uh, upside down in such a way, twisting uh, reality that, uh, that we as a people, in a large part, even deny the very creational orders that God has given. And we look at some of the most simple, basic things, and, and we say, well, how can we even know these things? We flip them around, turn them out, and... And we have some very strange demonic zeitgeist that is controlling us. These influencers that bring these things. Now, most of these influencers think a little too more highly of themselves, just like those in history who have had power. They think more highly of themselves than they really are. We see the real reality that God is the one who is in control. So we look at this chapter, work our way through together this morning. What I want us to see and remember is that God, as the sovereign influencer of history, uses his church to witness himself to the world. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who is bringing all things together that he might witness himself to the world. We're going to look at three things. The influence of Paul's enemies, the influence of Paul's captor, and the influence of Paul's God. The influence of Paul's enemies. 
the Jewish religious leaders, they're still plotting against Paul. It's been two years, as I mentioned earlier, as we left chapter 24, we come into chapter 25, two years Paul has been uh, captive there in Caesarea. He's been uh, in, in bondage. And, and, and you remember it was two years ago, just a week to us, as we were looking at the assassination plot against Paul, these, these men who had vowed that they were going to kill Paul at all, all cost. And two years later, they're still amongst the, uh, the Jewish community. There's a desire to kill Paul and silence him, except it's moved from a, a group of zealous men. Now it's the actual leadership. So those who are in charge, they are the very ones who are seeking to kill Paul. They are the ones that are coming together and conspiring that they might see Paul silenced and live no longer, seeking to influence the, the Roman civil government to do their bidding and to silence Paul forever in their minds. They, they're plotting and asking. They want Festus, the new guy who comes. They're trying to work on the fact that he obviously wants to keep peace in this area that's known for turmoil, turmoil in, the, in the Roman Empire. And they, so they're, they're kind of giving him an idea. Hey, now Festus, there'd be, there'd be some peace if you just help us. Do us a favor. Get rid of this Paul, this troublemaker. It's causing all of these issues amongst us and you. But the Jewish religious leaders, their desires, their influence, these things are thwarted. They don't come to pass. Festus, it seems, is trying to play both sides. He's being somewhat shrewd of a civil leader. He, he's coming in and he does want to appeal to, to the, uh, the wants and desires of the religious leaders there. He does want to have them feel it seems that, you know, that he's listening. But at the same time, it's clear he's not interested in moving in any bit on the rights of Roman citizens. He's not about to just hand Paul over. And so he says, hey, come on down with me. I'm headed to Caesarea. We're going to go see Paul. Come with me. Make your claims there. You've got you to gotta bring your charges to his face. And then they get thwarted when Paul, kind of playing both sides here, or is asked, by Festus, who's playing both sides. And what is it Festus asked Paul? Hey, Paul, would you like to go to Jerusalem? That's kind of a, a helpful question. Festus, I'm sure, knows the answer. But he thwarts the influence of, of these religious leaders who are seeking to try to have Paul killed while he seeks to be his own influence of power in uh, this area. But over this... This thwarting of the the desire of the religious leaders, what we see is that God is protecting Paul through these influential, powerful people. God is protecting Paul from this injustice that is being brought against him. God is the one who is moving things to keep his promise. As Christ, you remember, stood by Paul and said, you are going to Rome. You are going to witness me. It is God who's keeping these promises and moving these things through. God is in control as, as we're reminded and we read from and, and look to often in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and following. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. We may think, well, I, I can understand God's in control. Paul's rejoicing in, in these situations, and yet Paul is suffering quite a month. I mean, yes, God kept him from death, but at the same time, bondage for two years. He hasn't been free to be able to do the mission he's been given, and yet God's using this situation, this bondage and suffering to further uh, the mission itself. It hopefully helps us think through a little bit about our suffering when we come to trials, challenges, and suffering, that perhaps it's not the correct response is to immediately run from them. But instead, to immediately run to Christ and to cry out and, and seek to desire what, what it is, Lord, that you are, are teaching me here. As we just back up a little bit. We go to Romans chapter 5 and get a, a glimpse of this to help us understand what it is we're to do in the midst of the suffering that we go through in God's providence. In chapter 5, we read, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice and hope in the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a, a, an interesting movement that's happening within the culture. So we think about how God is the ultimate influencer. Now, there is another group of influencers that are coming, and they've, they've come to find young men who are disgruntled, who are tired of being told they're the problem and that they need to be quiet and they need to conform themselves to the opposite of what God created them to be, though they don't necessarily grasp this God as the one who, who created them. And so there seems to be a resurgence of a stoicism, this philosophy that, you know, hey, suffering is good. And so in one way, young men are, are grabbing onto the stoicism, and we can be thankful that, well, at least they're understanding that suffering is a reality of life, and they're not being flippant, but, but it doesn't, it can't end there. It's one of these gentlemen who's very popular in the influencing in this area. He has a saying that when, when folks come to him, he was in the military, when people would come to him and, and say there was a problem, or when people come now and say they have a problem, his response is always good. It's good that you are suffering and things are going wrong, because it's in this moment that you'll grow and be better. But you can't stop there. If we stop there, it stops just where, where, where the emptiness of stoicism stops. We need what we read in God's Word. We see the blessing that the Lord uses our trials. The Lord uses our suffering. He uses these things to produce endurance and character and, and hope. But it's hope in Christ. It's not just a stoicism that says we suffer because it's good to suffer. And, and, and we need to be able to embrace the hard parts of life. But no, it's a, in God's goodness and grace, it's for the purpose of producing in us hope rooted in Christ. 
the kind of hope that Paul has here, where he's confident that God is the one who's protecting him, working through him, and keeping all his promises. So the influence of Paul's enemies, and then, and then for just a moment, a shorter look at the influence of Paul's captor. Festus tells King Agrippa, Agrippa about his prisoner Paul, and even fills him in about his case, uh, the case against Paul. And so we learn a little bit more of things that we've already learned here uh, that are brought for us. Uh, Festus is, is looking for a way, it seems, to, like all politicians, take this situation and make the most of it. You know, so he's, he's trying to do that, it seems, with the, uh, the Jewish leadership, but also with King uh, Agrippa. Uh, he's sending Paul off to Caesar, but you know, he wants to make sure is when he sends him, he doesn't want to just send Paul. He needs to make sure he's, he, he's sending along with Paul in a, a letter that explains what's going on, and one that probably just happens to, to paint Festus in a really good light before Caesar. So Caesar sees Paul, you know, Festus is doing a really good job. So he is seeking to, to further his influence in these situations. Festus, like many uh, politicians, is trying, trying to make this happen. Festus and King Agrippa, they, as we read, they bring Paul before themselves. And, and it's, quite a, uh, it's quite a pomp and circumstance that surrounds this when they bring Paul. I mean, they get everybody together. I mean, this is a big deal. They, they're, they're walking in. They're, they're making uh, quite the show. It's, it literally is a show trial when you think about it. And next week, when we get together, we're going to see Paul's defense in the midst of this, this situation. But it's been noted by, by one, despite the single day's notice, Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice managed to turn Paul's hearing into a lavish public event. I mean, on the drop of the hat, they take advantage of this. These are shrewd politicians. The, the opportunity is there, and they jump on it. The king and his sister entered the audience room with great pomp. Luke lists the dignitaries who made their entrance in the retinue of the royal couple. High-ranking officers were military tribunes, each commanding a cohort of a thousand troops. The, the leading men of the city were civilians of high rank and influential connections to the halls of power and the provincial government. Finally, at Festus' command, Paul was led in. As the prisoner stood in chains, Festus spoke with oratorical flourish, presenting the legal problem that Paul posed. The governor's purpose in presenting Paul to King Agrippa would be frustrated. No clear statement of serious charges would, would emerge from the hearing. On the other hand, God's purpose for this convocation of Near Eastern dignitaries would be achieved. For Paul must carry Jesus' name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. Our God is infinitely resourceful in displaying his glory and grace, even through the self-serving decisions of sinful people. That brings us to the influence of Paul's God. Paul's enemies and, and Paul's captor, they, they, they foolishly think they are the ones who are, who are determining what's going to happen to Paul. That They think that they are running the show, as it were. They think that their agenda is taking place and that they are the ones who are influencing these, these situations. And there's nothing new under the sun, as the preacher tells us from the Old Testament. It's nothing new today. It's nothing new then. It's nothing new throughout the generations. There's always someone in some group that's claiming this is the end for the church. 
we've moved beyond Christianity. God is dead. Church is an old relic that will be gone in just a few more years. Our day is no different. We have these cultural influencers who are proclaiming the death of Christianity, and yet in the midst of that and the hollowness of their claims, it is in those very places that, that if you're engaging with your neighbors, you'll see that the emptiness is being exposed. And there are great opportunities to bring the truth of God's word and the gospel and to be like Paul in the midst of suffering to witness to those who think they've got everything figured out. God is continuing to build his church. Now is not the time to despair, as some have fallen into. Now is the time to praise God that in his perfect providence he has positioned our culture for the harvest. It's very hard to go out and not find people right now that don't need to hear the gospel. You can be like a pinball, almost, in a pinball machine everywhere you go. And God has blessed us with the opportunity to make it so easy to find people to tell about Jesus and to give the love of Christ to. There is great need, but God is working, and he is a great God. So don't be disheartened. We see nothing new. Those who are cultural influence talk a lot of trash. The devil talks a lot of trash, tries to convince Christians you're all alone. Everyone thinks you're dumb, silly. Everyone's coming. The church is at the end, but that is as foolishness. For our great God, the covenant faithful God, the creator, ruler, and sustainer of all things is the one who is in control. Paul's God, our God. He is the one who has his will done at all times and everywhere. You know, look at just our chapter here, chapter 25, you move your way through. What do we see happening? We see the religious leaders thinking that they're the ones that are influencing the situation, thinking they are driving and pushing uh, the silencing of Paul. And then we turn around, we see Festus comes on the scene, and then Festus and then Agrippa. And what are these, these Roman civil magistrates? They think they are the ones who are pressing Romans, the, uh, Rome's rule over this area. They think they are the ones who are, who are using this situation to, to dictate uh, greater control and get favors, as it were, with the religious leaders. And yet in the midst of all this, God is sovereignly over all of it, moving Paul right through. Paul is proclaiming the gospel to the religious leaders, to the civil Roman leaders. God is taking him right on the way, as we're going to see, to Rome, that he might, in the very heart of Rome, the empire, the controlling nation of the world at that time, Paul is going to be sent to witness Christ there. All expenses paid with a, with a nice escort of Roman soldiers for safety. And he's going to be brought right in. We're going to see that he might proclaim the gospel to all who will listen. And as you read the New Testament, you see the Lord brings great fruit from this and is using it in mighty ways. God is the one who is influencing. It is his authority is doing these things. God is, like we read of Pharaoh, God is turning the hearts of powerful men like the stream in his hand as he did with Pharaoh. 
As we've been reading our Old Testament continuous reading through Exodus, we saw the way that God was in, in control, even dealing with how he delivered his people from their bondage in ancient Egypt. Even in this very moment with Paul, God is in total control, turning the hearts of those who think that they are fighting over and pushing their influence. And Paul, though we don't get a big defense in this chapter 25, we, we just get a small recounting of it. Not like what we saw, not what we're going to see again. Uh, but Paul speaks boldly, and he speaks boldly not because Paul thinks highly of himself, but he speaks boldly because he is trusting that God is in control and keeping his promises. Christ said, I'm sending you to Rome. So Paul is not concerned with what might happen. He knows, I'm going to Rome. I appeal to Caesar, God's going to get me there. God is sending me. God has called me to be a witness. I will witness the realities and the need for repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's trusting that God is working amidst all of these things. He trusts in the covenant faithful God. Paul isn't the only one who can live in, in, in real confidence in God. That, that is the life that, that the Lord calls each of his people to. That's the life you're saying for you to live every moment in confidence that God, God is in control. God is the one who is causing all things to happen. He is caring for you. So regardless of the situation, whether cultural, personal, Christians should approach it with confidence in God. Not in a, a wondering, might God show up this time? But confidence that no, no, God does not forget his people. God does not turn from his promises. God keeps them. God cares for the sheep of his pasture. You know, too often I'm afraid we attempt to, to live in our own strength. Ignoring God's gracious sovereignty and his promises. And when we do this too often, what it ends up is we look less like Paul and we're not acting like Paul trusting the Lord and we're more like the religious leaders and and Festus and Agrippa who were, who were thinking, I've got to do what I need to do to make sure that I push my influence for this situation, whatever it may be, because I've got to take care of myself. And, and we miss the boat. It is the Lord who does all these things. It is God in whom we trust. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul, he, he expands this a little bit in Philippians chapter 4. And we'll look at just a couple of verses here and, and Philippians 4 to make this point. So Paul is speaking here in response to this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Regardless of the trials Regardless of the sufferings, regardless of the great victories and celebrations, wherever one finds themselves, up, down, whatever it is in the providence of God that you're in, it is by the strength of God that you are growing in Christ's likeness, that he is sanctifying you, and that he is working through you to be a witness of Christ, to glorify him, and to grow you in his grace.
regardless of the circumstances. You can do all things through him who strengthens me. The influence of Paul's enemies, the influence of Paul's captor, the influence of Paul's God. God as a sovereign influencer of history uses his church to witness himself to the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, for your word. We thank you for the preaching of it. We ask that you would cause the spirit to help us to, to understand uh, the truth that we have read and heard. And, and that we might truly rest upon the reality that you are the one true and living God, sovereign over all things. And that, and that it is in you that we have our strength. It is in you that we are able to... Pursue sanctification is in your strength that we are able to do things that uh, seeming seemingly are so difficult and and yet at other times seemingly are so easy. Lord, it is in your strength that we might proclaim you. It is in it is in your strength that we are able to grow in grace. So we ask that you would do all these things to your glory and the benefit of your people. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.